Chapter Twelve, Part Two. Prince Henry the Navigator, the Hero of Portugal and of Modern Discovery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Prince Henry the Navigator by Charles Raymond Beasley. But what heart so stern, exclaims the chronicler, as not to be pierced with pity to see that company? For some held down their heads, crying piteously, others looked mournfully upon one another, others stood moaning very wretchedly, sometimes looking up to the height of heaven, calling out with shrieks of agony, as if invoking the father of nature. Others groveled upon the ground, beating their foreheads with their hands, while others again made their moan in a sort of dirge in their own way, for though one could not understand the words, the sense of all was plain in the agony of those who uttered it. But most terrible was that agony when came the partition and each possessor took away his lot. Wives were divided from husbands, fathers from sons, brothers from brothers, each being forced to go where his lot might send him. Parents and children, who had been ranged opposite one another, now rushed forward to embrace, if it were for the last time. Mothers, holding their little children in their arms, threw themselves down, covering their babes with their own bodies. And yet these slaves were treated with kindness, and no difference was made between them and other and free-born servants. The younger captives were taught trades, and those who showed that they could manage property were set free and married. Widow ladies treated the girls they bought like their own daughters, and often left them dowries by will, that they might marry as entirely free. Never have I known one of these captives, says Azurara, put in irons like other slaves, or one who did not become a Christian. Often have I been present at the baptisms or marriages of these slaves, when their masters made as much and as solemn a matter of it as if it had been a child or a parent of their own. During Henry's life, the action of buccaneers on the African coast was a good deal kept in check by the spirit and example and positive commands of the infant, who sent out his men to explore, and could not prevent some outrages in the course of exploration. Again and again he ordered his captains to act fairly to the natives, to trade with them honorably, and to persuade them by gentler means than kidnapping to come to Europe for a time. In the last years of his life he did succeed in bettering things. By establishing a regular government trade in the Bay of Arguin, he brought a good deal more under control the unchained deviltry of the Portuguese freebooters. Cadamosto and Diego Gomez, his most trusted lieutenants of this later time, were real discoverers, who tried to make friends of the natives rather than slaves. In the early days of Portuguese exploration, it may also be said, information, first-hand news of the new countries and their dangers, was absolutely needed, and if the Negroes and the Azinegui Moors could not or would not speak some Christian tongue and guide the caravels to Guinea, they must be carried off and made fit and proper instruments for the work. 
it would be out of place here to justify or condemn this excuse or to enter on the wider question of the right or wrong of the slave trade in general it is enough to see how brutally the work of saving the heathen was carried out by the average explorer when discovery was used as a plea for traffic no one then questioned the right of christians to make slaves of heathen blacks henry certainly did not for he used slavery as an education he made captives of gentiles for the highest ends as he believed to save their souls and to help him in the way of doing great things for his country and for christendom he knew more of the results than of the incidental cruelty more of the hundreds taken than of the hundreds more killed and maimed and made homeless in the taking for centuries past moors had brought back slaves from the south across the sahara to sell on the coast of tunis and morocco no christian doubted the right and more than the right the merit of the prince in bringing black slaves by sea from guinea to lisbon where they might be fairly saved from the grasp of foul mahomet so if it is said that henry started the african slave trade of european nations that must not be understood as the full-blooded atrocity of the west indian planters for the use he made of his prisoners was utterly different though his action was the cause of incessant abuse of the best end by the worst of means at the time the gold question was much more important than the slave trade and most portuguese most europeans nobles merchants burghers farmers laborers were much more excited by the news and the sight of the first native gold dust than by anything else whatever it was the first few handfuls of this dust brought home by gonzalves in fourteen forty two that had such a magical effect on public opinion that spread the exploring interest from a small circle out into every class and that brought forward volunteers on every side for a guinea voyage was now the favorite plan of every adventurer but however they may be explained however natural and even necessary they may seem to be as things stood in portugal and in latin christendom the slave trade and the gold hunger hindered the prince's work quite as much as they helped it if further discovery depended upon trade profits native interpreters and the attractions of material interest there was at least a danger that the discoverers who were not disposed to risk anything and only went out to line their own pockets would hang about the well-known coast till they had loaded all the plunder they could hold and would then simply reappear at sagras with so many more souls for the good prince to save but without a word or a thought of finding of new lands and this after all was the end buccaneering on the northwest coast of africa was not what henry aimed at so he gave a caravel to one of his household consalo de sintra who had been his stirrup boy and bade him go straight to the land of guinea and that for no cause whatever should he do otherwise but when de Sintra got to the white cape blanco it struck him that with very little danger he could make some prisoners there so with a cheerful impudence in the face of the infant's express commands 
he put his ship about and landed in that bay of arguin where so many captures had been made but he was cut off from the rest of the men and killed with seven others by a host of more than two hundred moors and the chronicle which tells of all such details at the greatest length stops to give seven reasons for this the first serious loss of life the europeans had suffered in their new african piracies and for the rest may god receive the soul that he created and the nature that came forth from him as it is his very own habiat dus animam quam creavit et naturam quod suam est azurara chapter twenty seven three other caravels which quickly followed de Sintra, sailed with special orders to christianize and civilize the natives wherever and however they could and the result of this was seen in the daring venture of hoen fernandez this man the pattern of all the crusoes of after time offered to stay on shore among the blacks to learn what he could of the manners and speech and customs of the people and so was left along with that bestial and barbarous nation for seven months on the shores of the bank of arguin while in exchange for him and old moor went back to portugal yet a third voyage was made in this spring of fourteen forty five by nuno tristem and of this says azurara i know nothing very exact or at first hand because nuno tristem was dead before the time that king afonso d henry's nephew commanded me to write this history but this much we do know that he sailed straight to the isle of herons in arguin that he passed the sandy wilderness and landed in the parts beyond in a land fertile and full of palm trees and having landed he took a score of prisoners and so nuno tristem was the first to see the country of the real blacks in other words nuno reached cape palmar far beyond cape blanco where he saw the palms and got the all-important certainty that the desert did end somewhere and that beyond instead of a country unapproachable from the heat where the very seas were perpetually boiling as if in a cauldron there was a land richer than any northern climate through which men could pass to the south still further was this proved by the next voyage which reached the end of the great western trend of the african coast and found that instead of the continent stretching out farther and farther to an infinite breadth there was an immense contraction of the coast Dines diaz the eldest of that family which gave to portugal some of her greatest men and makers now begged a caravel from the prince with the promise of doing more with it than any had done before he had done well under old king john and now he kept his word passing arguin and cape blanco and cape palma he entered the mouth of the senegal the western nile which was now fixed as the northern limit of guinea or black men's land nor was this a little honour for our prince whose mighty power was thus brought to bear upon the peoples so far distant from our land and so near to that of egypt for azurara like diaz like henry himself thought not only that the senegal was the niger 
the western nile of the blacks but that the caravels of portugal were far nearer to india than was the fact were getting close to the mountains of the moon and the sources of the nile but diaz was not content with this he had reached and passed as he thought the great western stream up which men might sail in the belief of the time to the mysterious sources of the world's greatest river and so down by the eastern and northern course of the same to cairo and the christian seas he now sailed on to a great cape which he named cape verde a green and beautiful headland covered with grass and trees and dotted with native villages running out into the western ocean far beyond any other land and beyond which in turn there was no more western coast but only southern and eastern from this point diaz returned to portugal but great was the wonder of the people of the coast in seeing his caravel for never had they seen or heard tell of the like but some thought it was a fish others were sure it was a phantom others again said it might be a bird that had that way of skimming along the surface of the sea four of them picked up courage to venture out in a canoe and try to settle this doubt out they went in their little boat all made from one hollow tree but when they saw that there were men on board the caravel they fled to the shore and the wind falling our men could not overtake and though the booty of dinis diaz was far less than what others had brought home before him the prince made very much of his getting to that land of negroes and cape verde and the senegal and with reason for these discoveries assured the success of his work and from this time all trouble and opposition were at an end mariners now went out to sail to the golden country that had been found or to the spice land that was now so near men passed at once from extreme apathy or extreme terror to an equally extreme confidence they seemed to think the fruit was within reach for them to gather before the tree had been half climbed long before fernando po had been reached while the caravels were still off the coasts of sierra leone men at home from king afonso to the common seamen of the ports thought the line of tunis and even of alexandria had been long past the difficult first steps seemed all now three volunteers antem gonzalves and two others who had already sailed in the prince's service applied for the command of ships for the discovery and conquest of the lands of guinea and to bring back juan fernandez from his exile sailing past cape blanco they set up there a great wooden cross and much would it have amazed any one of another nation that should have chanced to pass that way not knowing of our voyages along that coast says azurara gleefully giving us proof enough in every casual expression of this sort often dropped with perfect simplicity and natural truthfulness that to his knowledge and that of his countrymen to the europe of fourteen fifty the portuguese had had no forerunners along the guinea coast a little south of the bight of arguin the caravels sighted a man on the shore making signals to the ships 
and coming closer they saw fernandez who had much to tell he had completely won over the natives of that part during his seven months stay and now he was able to bring the caravels to a market where trinkets were exchanged for slaves and gold with a moorish chief a cavalier called ahude maimam then he was taken home to tell his story to the prince the fleet wasting some time in descents on the tribes of the bay of arguin when he was first put on shore Juan Fernandez told Don Henry the natives came up to him, took his clothes off him, and made him put on others of their own make. Then they took him up the country, which was very scantily clothed with grass, with a sandy and stony soil, growing hardly any trees. A few thorns and palms were the only relief to the barren monotony of this African prairie, over which wandered a few nomad shepherds in search of pasture for their flocks. There were no flowers, no running streams to light up the waste, so Fernandez thought at first, till he found one or two exceptions that proved the rule. The natives got their water from wells, spoke a tongue, and wrote a writing that was different from that of the other Moors, though all these people in the upland were Moslems, like the Berbers nearer home, for they themselves were a tribe, the Asenegui tribe, of the great Berber family, who had four times in the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth centuries come over to help the Muslim power in Spain yet said fernandez these moors of the west are quite barbarous they have neither law nor lordship their food is milk and the seeds of wild mountain herbs and roots meat and bread are both rare luxuries and so is fish for those on the upland but the moors of the coast eat nothing else and for months together i have seen those i lived among their horses and their dogs eating and drinking only milk like infants "'Tis no wonder they are weaker than the Negroes of the South, with whom they are ever at war, fighting with treachery and not with strength. They dress in leather, leather breeches and jackets, but some of the richer wear a native mantle over their shoulders, such rich men as keep good swift horses and brood mares. It was about the trade and religion of the country that Fernandez was specially questioned, and his answers were not encouraging on either point. The people were bigoted, ignorant worshippers of the abominations of Mahomet, he said, and their traffic in slaves and gold was a small matter after all. The only gold he saw in their country was in ankle rings on the women of the chiefs, the gold dust and black bodies they got from the negroes they took to tunis and the mediterranean coast on camels their salt on which they set great store was from the tagaza salt quarries far inland the chief ahude maimam who had been so kind to fernandez lived in the upland the christian stranger had been induced to ride up from the coast and had reached the court only after tortures of thirst the water failed them on the way, and for three days they had nothing to drink. Altogether, Fernandez's report discouraged any further attempts to explore by land, where all the country, as far as could be reached, seemed to yield nothing but desert with a few slender oases. 
it was not indeed till the european explorers reached the congo on their coasting voyages to the south that they found a natural and inviting pathway into the heart of africa the desert of the north and west the fever-haunted swamps and jungle of the guinea coast only left narrow inlets of more healthy and passable country and these the portuguese did their best to close by occasional acts of savage cruelty and impudent fraud in their dealings with the natives another expedition and that an unlucky one under gonzalo pacheco a gentleman of lisbon followed this last of antum gonzalves pacheco got leave to make the voyage equipped a caravel that he had built for himself and got two others to share the risk and profits with him and so says azurara hoisting the banners of the order of christ they made their way to cape blanco here they found one league from the cape a village and by the shore a writing that antum gonzalves had set up in which he counselled all who passed that way not to trouble to go up and sack the village as it was quite empty of people so they hung about the bank of arguin making raids in various places and capturing some one hundred and twenty natives all of which is not of much interest to any one though as pacheco and his men had to pay themselves for their trouble and make a profit on the voyage these man-hunts were the chief thing they thought about and the main thing in their stories when they got home men like pacheco and his friends were not explorers at all they stopped far short of the mark that dinas diaz had made for the european furthest and their only discovery was of a new cape one hundred miles and more beyond the bank of arguin sailing south because the natives fled at their approach and left the coastland all bare they came to a headland which they called cape st anne by which an arm of the sea ran four leagues up the country where they hunted for more prisoners still in search of slaves and gold they sailed on two hundred and fifty miles eighty leagues to negroland where diaz had been before and where they saw a land to the north of the great western cape all green peopled with men and cattle but when they tried to near the shore and land a storm drove them back for three days they struggled against it but at last they found themselves near cape blanco more than three hundred miles to the north where they gave up all thought of trying to push into the unknown south and turned cheerfully to their easier work of slave hunting in one of these raids a party of seven in a boat away from all the rest was overpowered and killed like de Sintra's men by a large body of natives whose souls may god in his mercy receive in the habitation of the saints the moors carried off the boat and broke it up for the sake of its nails and azurara was told by some that the bodies of the dead were eaten by their brutal conquerors tis certain at least he adds that their custom is to eat the livers of their victims and to drink their blood when they are avenging the death of parents or brothers or children as they do it to have full vengeance on such as have so greatly injured them End of chapter twelve part two